nine rounds of golf for $90? Yep. The Minnesota Golf Passport is back and available now at garagelogic.com. As a Golf Passport cardholder, you're entitled to nine 18 whole rounds of golf for just one low price of $90. Supplies are limited, so just go to garagelogic.com and type keyword passport. A $300 golf value for just 90 bucks. Now you got it. GarageLogic.com. Keyword passport. Here's a man who spends hours in hardware stores sifting through the nuts and bolts of life. Joe Suchere. I often feel vindicated when a belief I hold is corroborated by somebody who actually knows what they're talking about. Okay. As opposed to me being a lowly radio talk show host. Right. So in other words, when I tout the mystery, I'm always I'm always fascinated that people come up with uh, a corroboration. Right. So there was a wonderful validation of my lonely thoughts on climate change in the wall street journal today okay written by a guy named stephen f hayward what are the street creds and, for and uh, well this is the part that i love about the street creds okay mr hayward is a senior is a senior resident scholar he's a scholar okay at the institute of governmental studies at the university of california Berkeley. Okay, now we're talking. See what I'm this talking is about? above your. What he does is a little bit above your pay grade. Well, plus as far he's as... in a bastion of liberalism. Right. Climate change has run its course. Hmm. Climate change is over. No, I, he's not saying that the climate will not change in the future. Uh, well, because it always will, or that human influence on the climate is negligible. He means to say that climate change is no longer a preeminent policy issue. All that remains is boilerplate rhetoric from the political class, frivolous nuisance lawsuits, and bureaucratic mandates on behalf of special interest renewable energy rent seekers. This guy's at Berkeley, euphorians. Okay? Just why, what am I getting here? I'm getting a million. Uh, You're getting pinged? You're getting pinged? I'm getting pinged. Mm. <clears throat> Judged by deeds rather than words, most national governments are backing away from the forced marched decarbonization. You can date the arc of climate change as a policy priority from 1988, when highly publicized congressional hearings first elevated the issue to 2018. President Trump's withdrawal from the Paris Agreement merely ratified a trend long becoming evident. This guy's at Berkeley. He's at the Institute of Governmental Studies at Berkeley, okay? And here's my favorite part. Okay. A good indicator of why climate change as an issue is over can be found early in the text of the Paris Agreement, which Trump, to my great relief, rejected. Okay. A good indicator of why climate change as an issue is over can be found early in the text of the Paris Agreement. The non-binding pact declares that climate action must include concern for gender equality, 
empowerment of what? women and international equity, as well as the importance for some of the concept of climate justice. Another is Sarah Meyer's address at the most recent meeting of the American Geophysical Union, in which she proclaimed that climate change cannot fully be addressed without also grappling with the misogyny and social injustice that have perpetuated the problem for decades. To which I've always said, this movement has nothing to do with the environment. Nothing. What does misogyny have to do with what the temperature is? Nothing. Nothing. And then uh, uh, the descent of climate change into the abyss of social justice identity politics represents the last gasp of a cause that has lost its vitality. This is a ray of hope. (laughs) Climate alarm is like a car alarm, a blaring noise. People are tuning out. And this outcome was predictable. I hope this guy's right. Well, I mean, he's... Speaks and with he, authority. He, he cites a. This is the part I find fascinating. He cites a political scientist named Anthony Downs, who described the downward trajectory of many political movements in an article for Public Interest, Up and Down with Ecology: The Issue Attention Cycle, published in 1972. Now get this, oh. and that's long before the climate change campaign began. Observing movements that had arisen to address issues like crime, poverty, and even the U.S.-Soviet space race, Mr. Downs discerned a five-stage cycle through which political issues pass regularly. The first stage. Ready for the first stage? stage one. Involves groups of experts and activists calling attention to a public problem, which leads quickly to the second stage, wherein the alarmed media and political class discover the issue. All right? The second stage typically includes a large amount of euphoric enthusiasm. You might call it the dopamine stage, as activists conceive the issue in terms of global peril and salvation. The tendency expl- this tendency explains the fanaticism with which divinity school dropouts Al Gore and Jerry Brown have warned of climate change. Well, precisely. Then comes the third stage. You ready for the third stage? As Mr. Downs explains, there soon comes a gradually spreading realization that the cost of solving the problem is very high indeed. That's where we've been since the U.N.'s traveling climate circus committed itself to the fanatical mission of massive near-term reductions in fossil fuel consumption, codified in unrealistic proposals like the Kyoto Protocol. This third stage Mr. Downs insists, becomes almost imperceptibly transformed into the fourth stage. Ready for the fourth stage? What's number four? A gradual decline in the intensity of public interest in the problem. To which I would add, but I'm not Downs or uh, Hayward. I'm just me. Right. To which I would add, there was no problem to begin with. And before I get to the fifth stage, I'll, I'll tell you something I thought about on the Garage Logic Service Road of Life today. If climate change activism had not developed, if climate, okay, had not developed, no attention would be given to, to weather events that have been entirely normal throughout history. Now think about that logically for a minute. No attention. David Muir would not be leading off the ABC nightly news with a thunderstorm in Topeka, Kansas, and treating it hysterically, had this movement never begun in the first place. But once the movement began, 
it became almost automatic that that the that the uh, participants in the movement, including the media, most generally, would help advance the cause by attaching significance to weather events that had no significance attached to them fifty years ago. Hmm. So if we... there was a if there was a forest fire in California fifty years ago, as there was. 50 years ago, 75 years ago, 100 years ago, history is rife with them. It would have been, it would not have been treated the way it's treated today. Same with a blizzard in mid-April here. Which is why I asked the other day, what do you think alarmed the Al Gore crowd more? The mid-April blizzard or the 100-degree day on Memorial Day? (laughs) Neither of them are unique. Neither of them are different from anything that's ever happened before. Want to go to the fifth phase? I want to know phase number five. While public opinion surveys find that roughly half of Americans regard climate change as a problem, the issue has never achieved high salience among the public, despite the drumbeat alarm, the drumbeat of alarm from the climate campaign. Americans have consistently ranked climate change the 19th or 20th of 20 leading issues in an annual Pew Research Center poll, while Gallup's Yearly survey of environmental issues typically ranks climate change far behind air and water pollution. Here we go. In the final stage. Final stage. And this applies to any movement, by the way. Right. In the final stage, Mr. Downs concludes, an issue that has been replaced at the center of public concern that has been placed. No, I'm sorry. In the final stage, Mr. Downs concludes, an issue that has been replaced at the center of public concern moves into a prolonged limbo, a twilight realm of lesser attention or spasmodic recurrences of interest. Mr. Downs predicted correctly that environmental issues would suffer this decline because solving such issues involves painful trade-offs that committed climate activists would rather not make. Hmm. The average American has to look at the opening lines of the non-binding Paris Agreement declaring that climate action must include concern for gender equality, empowerment of women, and international equity, as well as the importance of the concept of climate justice. You have to read that line and you have to realize this is BS. This has nothing to do with the environment. This has always been a political movement that has nothing to do with what the temperature is supposed to be. Nothing. And and now I feel, I, I told you at the, at the outset, I, I feel validated when I read something by a learned scholar right. That validates what a hack like me has been saying all along. <laughs> yeah, okay, but, right? <laughs> but accurately. Yeah. Might be a and I'm an accurate hack. Accurate, yeah. I'm an accurate hack. <laughs> this has been this is now being well thought out by by scholars. And this guy is at the Institute of Governmental Studies at the University of California, Berkeley. Can I get an amen? Can I get an amen? Can I get an amen or a hallelujah? How about or, an oh, amen is pretty good, huh? I'll take an amen. And amen. Thank you. Yeah. May you take us to break, please?
man who has never had a relationship with a tree, Joe Souchere. The, uh, did Reavers leave? He's here, bro. I figured he'd figure out a way to get to the ballpark. Mm. He's I'm, trying. He's trying. Yeah. Very hard. The uh, perfect day. The obituary of somebody named Kathleen Demlo has gone, what's the word? Viral. Viral. How so? Well, you're going to find out. Yeah, you're going to tell me. Her obituary was on every website that I check in preparation for this show, <laughs> including in any, everything in Europe. Every okay. website I check Daily Mail. prior to this show contained this old bit. <clears throat> An 80-year-old woman's seemingly straight foot, straight, straightforward obituary took a dark turn that no one could have predicted. Hmm. The obituary for Kathleen Demlo, uh, nay Shunk, first appeared in the Redwood Gazette this week. That's right here in Minnesota, isn't it? Uh, it stated she was born on March 19, 1938, and resided in Springfield, Minnesota. She married Dennis Demlo in 1957 and had two children with him, Jenna and Jay. Okay. I'll read you the obit. Kathleen Demlo, parentheses, Shunk, was born on March 19, 1938, to Joseph and Gertrude Shunk of Wabasso. She married Dennis Demlo at St. Anne's in Wabasso in 1957 and had two children, Gina and Jay. <clears throat> in 1962, she became pregnant by her husband's brother, Lyle Demlo, huh. and moved to California. So you could say that the obit took a turn there. The first two paragraphs were all right, weren't they? Yeah, yeah. they seemed like a, you know, very normal. We lost grandma. Yep. Fourth paragraph. She abandoned her children... Jenna and Jay, who were then raised by her parents in Clements, Mr. and Mrs. Joseph Shunk. She passed away on May 31, 2018 in Springfield and will now face judgment. Ooh. And now we're going for the, we're going now, for the major uh, the tone. The tone is set now, I think. She will not be missed by Jenna and Jay, and they understand that this world is a better place without her. Wow. Huh. Okay. Uh -huh. well, um. And uh, as, a, as a commenter wrote, paragraph one, okay. Paragraph two, okay. Paragraph three, wait. Paragraph four, oh. <laughs> paragraph five, airplane flies overhead with a banner reading, welcome to hell, mom. <laughs> Despite wow. the harsh words, a uh, few people shared condolences on the online version of her obit. The good Lord loves you more than anyone else ever could. You are in heaven now with our Savior. Well, we don't know that. I don't know. I don't know anything about that. Right. I don't know anything about that. That's, uh... Demlo's know. obit was not the first to leave people talking. Last week, Barbara Gibson, the widow of Colonel Robert F. Gibson, 77, explained that her late husband despised Washington, D.C.'s horrendous beltway traffic, a view that was shared by a lot of folks. He hated how all of you were incapable of driving competently, his obituary read. <laughs> I, I would love that line in mine. <laughs> He hated the way you all interfered with him when he tried to make a move. <laughs> right, right. He wanted to get there. So let me see if I got this straight. Yeah. Kathleen Shunk married Dennis Demlo Girl in Wabasso, Dennis. Minnesota, 
1957. Yep. And had two children, Gina and Jay. Gina and Jay. Are we to presume she had those two children with Dennis? Well, Because the third paragraph says, in 1962, she became pregnant by her husband's brother, Lyle Demlo, and moved to California. Did she have the two kids with her husband, see, or did she have the two kids with her husband's brother? Setting the tone in the beginning, you know, prior to that, I assumed that she had them with her husband. That's what I thought. But now deeper into it, you start to question that. Well, hang mm-hmm. on a minute. That's going to make Christmas awfully complicated. Yeah, I bet it was tough for Thanksgiving, you know. She She's abandoned her children and Gina and Jay that they were then raised by her parents, Mr. and Mrs. Joseph Shunk. So her parents stepped in where she failed to. Yeah. That's, she will not be missed. Yeah, the, you really got to, I mean. the world is a better place. You maybe haven't worked through um, all of your issues if that's what your final obit says. You know, for you're you're writing it for your mom or your what who was your mom or well, and and the fact that the kids were then raised by her parents, you would think her parents would have been able to convey to those two children some grace on this woman's part, but apparently not. Huh? We, right? There's we don't know. There's a lot going on out there we don't know anything about. I think I think and I know I, exactly I, what you're saying. I, I hope the children uh, have uh, they have to be adults now. Obviously, well, it uh, sounds like they are uh, they are at peace if they say. You know what? Uh, we were done with her a long time ago, which is why we wrote this mm-hmm. uh, um, attractive obituary. Well, they let it all hang out, didn't yeah. they? Uh, yeah. Full disclosure. I would current think conditions. So. Here's the current conditions. <laughs> they gave you the current conditions. They really did. Yeah. yeah. There's no ifs, ands, or buts. See you later. Uh, we'll be back shortly, but now thanks to our great friends in Owatonna, Minnesota, at Federated Insurance, where it's their business to protect your business, and nobody does that better than Federated. It's Bruce Vale from the Wall Street Journal and Your Money Now. Well, now you have me working on my own obituary. It won't be that bad, will it? I want to put some of my achievements at the top. What should take more prominence, my Nobel Prize or Heisman Trophy? Heisman Trophy. Okay, I just want to clarify that. Uh, Mixed day in the stock market today. Stocks have been uh, bouncing back and forth a little bit. Right now, we are mixed with the Dow Jones Industrial Average down 29 points. The NASDAQ Composite is up 20, and the S&P 500 is flat. In a sign of just how tight the labor market is, the U.S. had more job openings this spring than unemployed Americans. The Labor Department said for the first time since such record-keeping began in 2000, the number of available positions exceeded the number of Americans who were unemployed but actively looking. U.S. job openings hit a record high at 6.7 million at the end of April, and there were 6.3 million Americans unemployed that month. The FDA has sent warning letters to nine online networks that operate 53 websites, telling them they have to stop illegally marketing potentially dangerous, unapproved, and misbranded versions of opioid medications, including tramadol and oxycodone. The companies uh, could be subject to enforcement action. The agency said the products sold while being marketed as authentic may be counterfeit, contaminated, expired, or otherwise unsafe. The online networks that got the warnings include medstore.biz, Remedy Mart, and Tramadol Hub. I'm Bruce Vale with your money now on 1500 ESPN. All right, thank you very much, Mr. Vale. Quick reminder for those soccer fans out there, join 1500 ESPN and Heineken 
for a live Adrian Heath show broadcast. Yep, Jamie Watson, Minnesota United players, Ethan Finley, and Jerome Thiessen will be doing the show on location. Commencing garage logic segment number nine. Commencing garage logic segment number nine. Commencing garage logic segment number eight. We're going to get it right. We got it. We got it now. You got your headphones plugged in? We're going to get it right. Here's John Height. Thanks, Joe. Sunny in 76 degrees. Twins and White Sox. They'll kick off a doubleheader at Target Field a little over half an hour from now. Fernando Romero starts the opener for the Twins. Ronaldo Lopez goes for the White Sox. Uh, Zach Latell makes his major league debut for the Twins in game number two. Yeah, we got it. Chicago throws righty Lucas Giolito in that game. While the Eagles' uninvitation to the White House is making all the news, the Minnesota Lynx are doing something else while in Washington because they didn't get an invitation to the White House. The defending WNBA champions are in Washington for a game this week. Instead of worrying about the non-invite, they're spending tomorrow taking part in a community service event through Samaritan's Feet at Payne Elementary School. They probably didn't get invited because they've been awful this year. They're not playing Lynx basketball. No, they're not. You are correct. Uh, The team, of course, has been there before. They celebrated at the White House in the past uh, with President Barack Obama. Uh, Speaking of Washington, the Caps now just one win away from the first Stanley Cup championship in the 43-year history of the franchise. Only the 1942 Detroit Red Wings have blown a 3-1 series lead after winning the first three games against Toronto. Uh, Game 5, Thursday night. When is Game 6? I'll look it up. Uh, We did have... um Breaking news, Joe, in the Reavers household this morning when I informed the diehard Vegas Transformers fan, my six-year-old son, that the Caps were now up three games to one, one and one away from winning the Stanley Cup. And he said, I think I'm going to cheer for the Washingtons now, Dad. (laughs) He's a front runner, huh? He's a Minnesota fan. (laughs) Where where would this... Okay, here we go. Uh Game five is Thursday. Thursday. Yep. Game seven. What what date is June thirteenth? Game, game six. I'm sorry. Game six. Oh, the whale Sunday. All right. All right. June June tenth is game six, <laughs> wow. and June thirteenth would be game seven. Uh, we got all that now. No. Thursday, Sunday, and Wednesday. If they played yeah. it out. Thursday. Sunday. Sunday. Wednesday. Wednesday yeah. If they played it out. Yeah. Yeah. They play to, they play uh, Wednesday uh, Thursday. In I hope Vegas. it doesn't go Game Seven. Then they, if it goes to six, it goes back to Washington on Sunday night. Let's right. win on Sunday. What night. is going to happen if the Caps win the Cup in Las Vegas? Nothing. How's those that? People don't know what they're looking at anyway. No, 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 no. You're missing my point. What is that post game party going to be like? Oh boy. <laughs> yeah, they don't even have to go anywhere. <laughs> oh, you're in Vegas. Right. <laughs> it's already a party. Right. News notes from today, a 30-year-old man accused of groping at least three underage girls at a northeast Minneapolis water park, according to a criminal complaint. Shi Su Lai is charged with two counts of second-degree criminal sexual conduct and one count of fourth-degree criminal sexual conduct. According to the complaint, a woman at the Jim Lupient Water Park at 1520 Johnson Street Northeast reported to police on a routine patrol that a man later identified as Lai, grabbed her 17-year-old sister while she was using the outdoor shower. 17-year-old told police she was washing chlorine off her face when she felt someone grab her around the shoulders and grind into her. The girl said the man asked her if it was okay. She said no. The man didn't let go of her until the sister noticed what he was doing and screamed at him. 
When officers spoke with Lai, he said he saw the girl showering and said, when I saw her, I got excited. He said he touched her elbow and asked if he could keep touching her. Three more girls, two 12-year-olds and 13-year-olds, told police they had similar incidents happen with them with Lai. Driver of a motorcycle who allegedly fled from police in Fridley is at Hennepin County Medical Center with what are described as life-threatening injuries after a crash this morning on University Avenue. According to a release from Fridley Police, an officer tried to conduct a routine traffic stop on a motorcycle, 61st Avenue Northeast and University Avenue Northeast, about 1130 today. Release alleges the driver was driving recklessly. The release states the motorist fled south, uh, motorcyclist, excuse me, fled southbound on University at a high rate of speed after the officer activated his lights. The Ridley police did not pursue because of what the release termed policy and safety concerns. However, the release says witnesses report the motorcyclist ran a red light at University and 49th at a high speed. The motorcyclist, who was not reported to be wearing a helmet, then hit the rear driver's side of a car that was going through the intersection. Motorcyclist described as an adult male transported to HCMC. The driver of the car treated at the scene for minor injuries. The matter remains under investigation. President Trump blamed his attorney general again this morning, Jeff Sessions, for allowing the Russian investigation to continue. Trump tweeted that he would have picked someone else for the top job at the Justice Department had he known Sessions would recuse himself from the probe. It's the latest salvo from the president in his bid to discredit the ongoing probe by special counsel Robert Mueller. Mueller investigating Russia's attempts to sway voters in the 2016 election. Trump tweeting, the Russian witch hunt hoax continues all because Jeff Sessions didn't tell me he was going to recuse himself. I would have quickly picked someone else. Uh, This afternoon, right off the bat, White House Press Secretary Sarah Huckabee Sanders faced questions about the Philadelphia Eagles not coming to the White House. Oh, I bet that was fun. The whole thing was, I felt sorry for Sarah because, you know, what what are you going to answer? What are you going to answer? A statement from President Trump cited disagreement on the national anthem, and Sanders herself said in a statement the team offered to send only a tiny handful of representatives. During the briefing, ABC News' John Carl asked, is the president aware not a single player on the Eagles for the entire season knelt for the national anthem? Sanders responded by reaffirming Trump's position on the anthem before blaming the Eagles for being the ones to change their commitment at the 11th hour. Huckabee Sanders said that it's clearly a political stunt by the team, saying the whole thing is about having pride in our country and about being respectful to the men and women who have fought and died to preserve. And our shame country. on Fox News, by the way, with the, what they posted on their Twitter account. Uh-huh. Well, that some guy was praying and they accused They're him of praying kneeling. as they ran out into the field, uh, not kneeling during the anthem, and yeah. Fox ran with that. That wasn't on their Twitter account, Chris. That was on the television. You're kidding they me. They ran the video of it, the players praying. Okay, so it's even worse. to the fact that they, they thought they made it look like the players were kneeling during My the God. anthem when they were actually And you praying. wonder why no one takes your network seriously. <laughs> well... Well, they're all, I mean, it's not just CNN. them. They're all, yeah, yeah they're all You bad. pick your poison yeah, with whichever one you watch, basically. <laughs> Former employee of Wisconsin-based Johnsonville Sausage is facing federal charges that accuse him of putting foreign objects in sausages while he, worked, that. while he worked at the Sheboygan Falls Company. The tampering charges allege Jonathan Tillman Lane of Keele, Wisconsin, put a wire connector in a sausage on the processing line. What the hell's wrong with you? And on another occasion, put a cigarette paper in another sausage. Is he got the Samer theory? Is he nuts? Yeah, I think so. He's charged with two counts of tampering and acting in reckless disregard for another's safety. Each count carries a maximum 10 years in prison upon conviction. Federal charging document says Johnsonville temporarily closed the production line, discarded all products that they believe could have been affected. So wait, let me get this straight. He was putting 
foreign objects in sausages. That's correct. Okay. I heard it backwards. Gotcha. Uh, scary pictures. I know I'm not supposed to say scary, but uh, if you saw these online, uh, an American Airlines airplane headed to Phoenix mm-hmm. had, had to make an emergency landing Sunday night at the El Paso International Airport because of hail damage mm-hmm. to the nose and windshield. Did you see those pictures? I did. And what what is the Garage Logic response to that story? Uh, I don't know. How amazing these airplanes! Oh, yeah. okay, yeah. sure. They're built Certainly. like yep. No other. Uh, American Airlines Flight 1897 uh, diverted to El Paso due to damage sustained by weather and flight, according to a statement from the airline. They said, we commend the great work of our pilots along with our flight attendants. Uh, no injuries reported. All passengers to plane normally. The plane had been in the air for about two hours. How uh, do you get hail at 30,000 feet? Thank you. I was wondering that myself. I'll have to remind me to ask Dave Dahl that. <clears throat> okay. Look, look at me. Focus. Writing it down right make, now. Make sure you remind me. Okay. And uh, if you haven't seen the pictures, the windshield was busted out, and the nose of the plane, it was torn uh, open well, How did the, all the pilots way to... survive that? Well, apparently it was a normal, normal landing from what the witnesses said. They said, well, we had a little bit of a you know turbulence and stuff, God but nothing, almighty. nothing drastic. But the, it goes all God, the way. And when you go back to your little hobble there, yeah. <laughs> verify that that occurred at 30,000 feet. Uh, from the story I read, it did. Oh, my word. That's what the uh, story said, 30,000 feet. So. Man. wonder how you get hail that high up That's there. what I'm wondering. <laughs> <laughs> a New Jersey realty company says that one of its advertisements lost during Superstorm Sandy in 2012 has been found washed ashore on a French beach. Hmm. Diane Turton Realtors, a company headquartered in Point Pleasant Beach, shared photos of the Sandy sign on Facebook last week, noting the company was now truly global. 64-year-old Hans... Huh. Thank you, Chris. 64-year-old Hans Frank told the New York Times he sent an email to the realty company after he found the sign washed up near Bordeaux, France. Company manager Perry Benaducci says the sign was posted at a waterfront listing uh, before it was lost during Superstorm Sandy. Benaducci notes the listing itself was not damaged and it actually did sell the next spring. Over the course of the five and a half years, uh, being it ended up near Bordeaux, France, that would mean the sign traveled about 4,000 miles in wow. the water. Well, I'm glad a whale didn't need it. Yeah, right. Good point. Is Dave Dahl coming up? Yes. All right. Well, look like I'm going again. I can't seem to believe myself. It's the end of the world as we know it, and he feels fine. Joe Souchere. Hey, sponsoring David Wallace Dahl's forecast in Garage Logic is Fran Aloni's Ace Hardware and Garden Stores. Proud sponsor of the Beer Show. Hey, Dave. It's five o'clock Dave. Yes, sir. How do you get hail at thirty thousand feet? It, it gets up that high. Really? We were just when uh, you learning about, about an air, that airliner Joe? that had to land. Well, you got you got a you got a wind that's vertical. Sometimes you get winds in some of these thunderstorms. It's rising at hundred miles an hour, mm-hmm. so that can push those things up. Yeah. So the hail saying, blew out the windshield of a air, uh, airliner at, at thirty thousand feet. feet. Yeah, I can believe that. That's, so you're saying you can get it? You can get there. I got it. You can get hail. Got hail. It yeah. can be there. Seventy six right now. It is darn near perfect outside. Mm-hmm. Uh, dew point now has risen to fifty two, but that's still very comfortable. Partly cloudy skies. It's going to be warm tonight. Low down to sixty four. Uh, unfortunately, by tomorrow morning, some thunderstorms. Pretty likely. 
There's going to be a cluster of storms that forms in the eastern part of North Dakota tonight, and that's going to slide southeastward from there and come right down I-94 and should be arriving here in the Twin Cities sometime around 5 a.m. tomorrow and lasts through about 10 a.m., and then it starts to clear up after that. Pretty nice afternoon, 83 for the high tomorrow with southeast winds at around 5 to 15. And then mostly sunny, less humid Thursday, 82. Low 80s all the way through the weekend. A chance of some ice or scattered thunder again on Friday into early Saturday. Saturday afternoon through Sunday looks dry at this point, less humid, but high still in the lower 80s. And we're going to stay there early next week as well. Some more isolated thunderstorms are possible, especially late Monday. Uh, overnight tonight, then, those uh, developing storms around 5 in the morning and lasting to about 10 a.m. tomorrow morning. And the overnight low down to 64. Right now we're at 76, and I have the records for the day, Joe. Uh, today is June 5. And a couple of years here, Joe. Yep. 92. 92. In 1911. In 1911. And 1925. And 1925. And 40. 40. In the year 2000. In the year 2000. Thank you. Thank you, Joe. You got a, Oh, yeah, you already asked about the hail. Yep, it happens. Okay. Rook, uh, there was a piece on the cover of the Star Tribune's variety section today, and I thought of you. It was, uh, let me refresh my memory. The guy who's a laundry celebrity. Mm -hmm. And at first thought, this is the dumbest thing I've ever seen. Okay. And then I decided to change my mind. What guy's The guy's a genius. Yeah. He has created a celebrity niche for himself by being a laundry guru. Taking you see out the, stains, did you see yeah, the piece? Yeah. Taking stains out, yeah. what you should do. and His name is uh, Patrick Richardson, and he holds laundry camps. People go to the camp. Yeah. Uh, if you want to learn how to do laundry stuff. And he has a store called Mona Williams. I'm, I'm, I'm just not familiar with Mona Williams. Either am I. For two years, the self-styled laundry evangelist has been raising eyebrows and hackles during his laundry camps at his Mona Williams store at the Mall of America. And now he's making headlines. Now he's in the front of the, the guy's a genius is what he is. Yeah. He took, there's a word for this I want. It's not scope creep. Eminent. No. There, he is taking something completely normal and has turned it into something that makes people feel that they need his advice. Right. It's like, it's like remember when the kids started the walking campaigns to school and you decided you need people to go along with them? Yes. And, and you're taking something completely... He's not complicating the uncomplicated. He's just making himself the go-to guy if the you have a laundry the ambassador. Yeah. Or evangelist, as he's being called. Last week, Richardson landed back-to-back national TV appearances on NBC Nightly News with Lester Holt and Inside Edition, catapulting him from local laundry legend to national name. There's a book in the works, and his thrice-weekly laundry camps are booked through July. This guy's going to be live. What's the what's the road you like in Naples? The, the uh, Gordon Drive. He's going to be Gulf living Shore on Drive. Gordon Drive. Yeah, the guy's a genius. Uh, but damn, how can are there that many people that he, are going to read the book? My he, two appearances on right. Lester Holt. He attributes his rising star to several converging forces. Tired of fast fashion and the culture of disposability, more people are interested in investing in higher quality clothes and maintaining them. Yes. Others worried about their health and the environment are concerned about the chemicals used in dry cleaning. Still others just want to get a stain out of their favorite T-shirt. Then there's Richard himself. 
Richardson. He's a vivid storyteller with a Southern drawl and a background studying textiles at the University of Kentucky. He can make even the most laundry averse take an interest in getting clothes clean. Uh, he looks like a fun-loving, roly-poly guy. Yeah, who doesn't love clean clothes? I like clean clothes. Yeah. yeah. It's just amazing, though. Um, he he had a passion for laundry that started when he was a kid. I don't understand how that could be. I don't either. He's a clothes horse. He often asked his mom to wash his clothes several times a week. She refused. So he turned to his grandma, who he calls Granny Dude, who had learned how to do laundry in the pre-chemical, pre-dryer sheet age. She taught him everything she knew. By the time he was a teenager, he was washing all his own clothes. In college, he taught others how to do a proper load of laundry. And when he later worked in luxury retail stores, he taught customers how to wash their $900 cashmere sweaters at home. Mm. Richardson has not been to a dry cleaner in five years, prides himself on being able to get a stain out of anything with a few simple products. Vinegar, vodka, rubbing alcohol, some non-toxic soap-based stain solution, and a bleach alternative. Okay. Not long ago, a woman brought him a stained cloth napkin that had been used by her family for holiday meals for 50 years. The napkin, napkin was an heirloom. Could he get out the stain? He did. The woman was thrilled, but Richardson's napkin coup had one negative consequence. Some members of the family had gotten so used to the stain that they missed it when it was gone. Come on. Uh, What a funny family story. eh? His laundry camps are free. What? Okay, what camp would you put on? What do you know? Varnish. You can varnish. You, uh, um, uh, You're, You're onto it. It would be like a guy, well, they're probably already... This is like the million dollar ideas. Yeah, you you could you could label yourself the varnishing evangelist and give workshops on how to varnish properly. And the next thing you know, you're on TV and you have a book. But there already are varnishing evangelists who are superior to my skill level. This guy, I and think, I, he, if you did that, I could uh, do a, a, a camp on how to test if the varnish see, is really wet, dry still. or not. <laughs> But this guy, I think he carved this out of whole cloth. Yeah, that is. If he's if he has camps, he's obviously uh, extremely popular. He says, ignore labels that say dry clean only. Richardson says any item of clothing, except those made from leather and suede, can be machine washed. Even silk blouses and wool suits. Just put them in mesh laundry bags before washing. Instead of commercial stain removers, Richardson advises using vinegar and water. To pre-treat stains. He also adds vinegar to a load of laundry to kill germs and eliminate odors. Vodka works wonders on odors. Fill a spray bottle with vodka and spritz the area. And your mouth. Uh. Including upholstered furniture and carpets. If you spill wine on yourself, dab the area with a bit of vodka to draw the stain out. Which you already probably have out because you're drinking wine. Uh, How do you uh, get stains out of like Rook out of your mesh tank top? I use a lot of vodka. I drink enough vodka so I can't see the stain anymore. 99% of his advice is easy and free and ends up being cheaper to follow than using conventional products. Uh, It's just, this is extraordinary. I think the guy's a genius. Absolute genius. I think he's pretty smart. Uh, What what is this Mona shop? What did I say the shop was? Mona, um, I've never heard of it. Is that the Mall of America? Mona Williams. Okay. I guess it's a vintage clothing store. Vintage, uh, it's a designer vintage and resale shop. Passion for laundry since he was a kid. That's I, I read as, that part. 
That's right. almost as weird as someone having a passion for a vacuum cleaner yeah. since he was a kid. Yeah. Tom. You want to take us to break? Please? Thanks, Tom. Yeah. yeah. We'll be right back. come in here and turn on the TV. That is not uh, to suggest that TCL TVs are not easy to turn on. It's that we have a complication in this studio because yes. an in-house TV is on and apparently the two are, uh, what's the word I want? Um, the two are in sync. So sometimes uh, that confuses me because I'm I'm not technologically advanced. So I gotcha. Now I got Reavers coming in, and he's very urgent to do that. I got gotcha. you because uh, the Twins are going to be starting a two-game doubleheader, an old-fashioned doubleheader here coming up. Fifteen hundred ESPN is KSTP St. Paul, Minneapolis. It's now seventy-six degrees.